Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, We're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned and thanks for joining. Good morning, all my friends. I don't want to change the attitude of worship too much because I feel like that what God gave me to share this morning um, goes really quite along with it. And um, I, I want to say that I feel like that there are those of you who feel stuck in different ways right now in life. Some of you feel spiritually stuck. Um, some of you feel like emotionally stuck, like you're, um, you're battling things like depression and you can't seem to, to shake loose or find your way out of it. And some of you even um, are trying to do things like start a business or you, you feel like you're supposed to do some things in the business world and, um, and it's not moving like you want it to and you feel a little frustrated. And so what I'm going to share this morning it actually applies really well to all these areas. And after I'm done, if you think back to me saying this, you're going to go, well, that doesn't really apply that well to business. But I promise you that it actually does. It's actually a big key to business. Um, but I'm not going to like spell out for you every single way that it fits into your life today. Um, I want to read a very poignant scripture to you. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That's exactly what I was looking for, Levi. Thank you. Yep. The kids are in here today. And I... I literally wrote in my notes how excited are my boys going to be that I just started a sermon with a scripture calling people stupid. Um, That's not the message translation or anything like that. It's literally in the ESV and NIV. It says, he who hates reproof is stupid. Um, And since the kids are in here today, here, let me get this out of the way real quick. Kids, I'm not above this bribe game. So, I bought I brought my assortment of Jelly Bellies. It has all 50 main flavors in it. If your parents will allow you to, listen, I can't, I can't, if your parents say no, then you have to be respectful. But if your parents will allow you to, if you will keep track of my three main points today, which I will tell you, and you will come tell them to me after service, I will let you choose any three Jelly Belly flavors that you would like to consume. Except red apple, because somebody already ate all those. <laughs> Don't know who it might have been. So, I'm going to tell you guys. Where's all my kids? Raise your hand, kids. Raise your hand. Ah, oh, Jackson, you were hiding. That was sneaky. All my kids. All right. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to tell you what the main points are as we go. I suggest you write them down. If you want to try to remember them, you can do that. Well... You guys are all really smart, and you will find a way to, like, get your parent to let you type a note in their phone. I have my own phone. Perfect. See? Look, you guys are so resourceful. So, and kids, here's the deal. 
Reproof means correction, okay? So what you could write, if you, if you want an excuse, because you've always wanted to write the word stupid and your parents not be able to get onto you for it, this is your moment. You could write, anyone who hates being corrected is stupid. That's what re reproof means. It means being corrected. So anyone who hates being corrected is stupid. So the title of this message is going to be Wanted Wounds. Wanted Wounds. Are those the words? No, this, you don't have to write that down. You're good. I'll tell you. I'll specifically tell you when you have to write it down. Okay. Wanted Wounds. And today, this is a, a call to love correction. Yes. A call to love correction. Proverbs 15 says it like this. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. Hebrews 12 says, For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Are y'all excited? This is fun. What a joyful word we have today. Actually, I'm going to try to approach it that way because I think that it is. It doesn't feel that way initially, but I think that it is. And this is a habit that I've required of myself to press into over the past couple years. And I feel that whenever I'm faithful in pursuing correction, it produces a lot of positive change in my life. From the way it changes my character to the clarity that I have of what I'm supposed to do in life. And even trickling down to, to joy, being able to live out of joy. And don't get me wrong when I say the word joy. It isn't exactly fun when God points out something about me that he wants to change. I'm just like you. I'm no different than you. It's not particularly fun. And, but he does that. He points out things that he wants to change. And I do not mean that he points out something that he wants me to change all on my own. I mean that he points out things that he wants to change. Because trust me, if you know me, I'm a person who sees something that I want to do and then I go really hard for it. And I have many times decided to fix myself. Many times I've decided to fix myself. And sometimes it works for a few days. And sometimes it even works for a few weeks, maybe even some months. But before long, I always end up realizing how weak I am to just decide I'm going to be a different person. Have you ever tried this? Anybody? It's really hard to just all of a sudden I'm going to be a different person. I can change a lot of things about my life and, you know, maybe some things about the rhythms and my habits. And some of those kind of work, but my nature is not something that I can just decide to change like that and all of a sudden I'm a different person. God has to do that. And yes, it is not my favorite pastime to realize that something about me is unholy. It, it comes in different ways. Like I might feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit I may feel some guilt or remorse for something that I've done. And Jordan has, has said this before, but I want to reiterate it. We cannot be fooled into thinking that guilt is something that's bad and only of the devil. Lots of these people that, you know, I'm all about grace. And there's been a big, big push of grace in the past decades. But guilt is important. If you don't feel bad because you did something wrong, you have something, that's a big problem. <laughs> I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the description of a psychopath? Yes. Yeah. So, so God's not trying to make you a, a, a psychopath or a sociopath. 
it's okay to feel guilty when you did something wrong. It actually should spur you to ask God how to change it and to actually do something about it. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit does prick my spirit and then I start to, uh, um, to maybe feel guilty. But then there's this other piece of it where I start to recognize in the same moment the mercy and the grace of God to forgive and to shift my heart. And after this process has happened to you enough times, there's actually a strange bit of excitement that comes when you feel the initial conviction because you know that God is about to make you pure. And you've realized with each time in the past that God has pruned you, even when you don't know unrighteousness or wrong thinking is in you, and then you become aware of it, that whole time that it was in you, it was still doing these just bits of damage, just hurting one piece of your life and another little piece of your life. And you didn't recognize it until God pointed it out, but it was still doing damage. And so you don't want to keep it there. Even if it hurts a little bit to let God peel back those layers, you know that the end result of your life is going to be a smoother, healthier, more fruitful life. And I actually don't even just mean like in a spiritual realm. I actually mean that your actual day-to-day -day existence is going to be smoother and healthier and easier. Okay, I'm even being practical. All right, kids, so here's point number one. Love correction. Love correction. Raise your hand if you just love to feel some good correction. I actually believe that about you, Jordan. I've kind of grown to like it too. Some of us, some of us actually, you know, you may, you may learn to like it, and that's what I'm hoping to, um, to talk about today. Sometimes you like it, Luke. We should do more of it. Let's keep practicing until you really love it. God will lead you into correction to some degree, even if you don't pursue it. Has this ever happened to you? Like you're not asking for God for correction and he's like, hey, here's this problem. He will do it without you pursuing it. But if you actually seek after his correction, he will conform you to his desired image much more quickly. And it won't be nearly as painful, the process. Your character starts to change. And then that feels very pleasing. God starts to change you and you start to notice it and you notice that you're becoming different. And that is a really good feeling. It's, it's very pleasing when you realize that things like kindness or patience or self-control are just coming more easily out of you. And then you start to have more clarity over life decisions because you're thinking more like him and you are more attached to him. So you do less of this, oh, I'm in the spot. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? trying to figure it out on my own. We do less of that and we get more clarity over life decisions. And throughout this process, I'm not saying it's all easy, but throughout this process, joy starts creeping in. And even though it isn't easy, you find true delight in his presence and it's submitting to be formed in ways that you could never successfully demand of yourself. Are y'all tracking with me? Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Keep that up there for one second, Tim. Do you see that? 
It says that peace comes from righteousness. You don't have to write that down, but you can. That's a great note for you to take. If something sticks out to you, you should write it down so you remember it, right? Okay, so everybody say, peace comes from righteousness. You know when I feel no peace personally? I'll tell you when I feel absolutely no peace. When I know that I'm wrong and that there's sin in me and that there's, there's darkness in me, oh, I, I hate it. I can't stand it. Such a bad feeling. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like you lay down at night and you know there's something in you that's just not right. There's something that's just wrong in your spirit, in your heart. It is the worst feeling. And if you are living in a way that defies your conscience, that is contrary to the holiness of God's spirit in you, then it becomes really difficult to be happy. I'm telling you guys something that some of you really need to hear. Some of you may be here in the room, you may be listening on the podcast, you've struggled with a lot of um, darkness and depression and anxiety, and I'm not telling you that this is the answer to all of it, but I am telling you that if there's something in you that is where, a way that you are living contrary to your conscience and the way that God has convicted you that you need to be living, it becomes really, really hard to be happy. You start seeing the negative in everything. Your, your job stinks, and your friends just aren't good enough, and your spouse doesn't love you enough, and nobody's going to be able to do good enough to make up for the fact that there's something that's off in you and that you feel the pain of that. But really, it's just that you're doing something that your heart knows is wrong and your body is literally responding to sin. You know that happens? Your body, your mind, your emotions, they respond to sin. And I'm not saying even if you, you have to do something awful. I'm saying... When, there's, when there are things that are just putting separation between you and God, when there's a little bit of dissonance between the way that you know Jesus is calling you to live and the way that you're actually acting it out, it begins to bring, um, it, bring it begins to throw things off inside of you. Your mind and your emotions are at war and they're trying to justify the unsettled chaos in your spirit and it just won't work no matter how many times you try to make it no matter how many times you try to fight your way out of feeling that way, you're not going to because your mind and your emotions and your spirit, they're at odds with each other. And when there's a war inside you, there's no peace. You see, you see how righteousness is the key to peace? Peace comes from righteousness. And if you want peace, search for righteousness. And if you want righteousness, and you will only find it by coming boldly into the presence of God and saying, I need you to change me. Show me where I'm wrong. I'm going to teach you guys right now one of the best prayers that I've ever memorized. I don't think it'll take you guys too long to get. We'll do it as many times as it takes. God, help! <laughs> you guys know that one? Yeah, you got it down, dude. Good job. All the kids are getting it. Listen, hey, I'm, I'm not even kidding. This is a good prayer to know for your whole life. Because sometimes what happens is you know that there's chaos inside you and you know that something in your world isn't right 
and you can't really put your finger on it. And there are plenty of times whenever I go sit down frustrated in my room and I just go, God, help, please. You don't have to write that, but you can. Maybe it's useful for you. Job 5 says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. And Proverbs 4 takes it even kind of a step further. It says, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. You want to have clarity in your life to make right decisions about your career? You want to know how to handle difficult relationships? You want guidance with how to handle a problem that you can't figure out? Well, here you go. I challenge you with the concept of wanted wounds. Not forced wounds, but wanted wounds. Ask God to find the ways in you that didn't come from him. It says that even when you run, you won't stumble. Did you see that? I made it bold for you. Even when you run, you won't stumble. That's even when you're moving fast. And some of you have ideas that God has put in your heart and you're dragging your feet, and you're convincing yourself that you need more confirmation of one more prophetic word or one more uh, sign from God in order to feel confident enough to act. But you know what? That hesitation, it is wisdom in a way, but in most cases, in many cases, I'll say, it is the world's wisdom. And if you aren't tied really closely into God's spirit, asking him questions and letting him constantly refine you and prune the dead, ugly stuff off your branches, then the world's wisdom is probably all that's going to keep you kind of safe. Because if you take off sprinting without God, then you're right. You should be scared. You're probably going to make a horrible mistake and fall flat on your face. But when you take off running with God, and you're constantly coming back to him in order to prune you and refine your ideas and asking him questions and and he's telling you, yes, that way. No, not that way. Yes, do that. No, don't Google that. That's not what I want you to read. <laughs> okay? These are conversations God and I have. God will keep you safe as you run, even if you make fast progress in life. And God is setting some of you up to run right now, and you won't do it because you're scared. But he's saying that you don't need to have fear if you will faithfully let him prune you and guide you, because not only will you walk unhindered, but you will run and you will not stumble. Yeah. Y'all hear me? Yeah. Is this a hard word? No, I'm living it right now. It's good. I'm living it too. <laughs> I think we all are, honestly. Um, maybe, a, maybe a year and a half ago, one call that I felt from God was to start taking retreat days. And so what I said was, 
um, once every quarter. I have not made it happen once every quarter, but that I was going to get away for, you know, two days, one night. I'll just go get the, I don't know, cheapest little cabin Airbnb I can find in the, in the woods and, uh, just be quiet, ask God tons of questions, um, be quiet enough to hopefully listen to whatever he wants to tell me. And uh, I remember the first one of those that I did, what God started pointing out, he asked me, he's like, I want you to write down all the ways you spend your time. So I just started writing everything that I ever did, like anything that I did on a somewhat regular basis, from, from work and church to whether it was TV or playing chess or working out or what, whatever it was, I just wrote it all on the list. And God gave me a rubric that day, and he had me sort them. I'm not going to give you the rubric today because I think the rubric was for me, not necessarily for you. But the point is that the outcome of this retreat was that I quit several things. I, I left that retreat, and I just quit doing several things that took up time, a couple hobbies, a couple other things that I did regularly. I deleted some apps off my phone. How many of you have had to delete some apps off your phone? Amen? I release an app-deleting anointing over the airwaves of even this podcast. Just don't delete the podcast app because you won't be able to listen anymore. Um, so that day was all about God-directed pruning. There were just things that God wanted out of my life so that I could focus more. Just things that took up time where he's like, just, just stop doing that. And you know what he told me on that time? Because some of you know me and know that throughout my life, I've had a, a uh, great habit of always having a new hobby. And I dive into it head first. He told me no more hobbies, no more new hobbies. So I haven't gotten a new hobby in like two years now, which is a miracle. And, uh, <laughs> but I said, okay. He asked me no more new hobbies. I said, okay. So it was God-directed pruning. The, the, last, the last retreat I went on, <laughs> I'm actually going on one this coming week for a couple days, and I'm kind of scared because the last retreat that I went on, I had already decided that we were going to take a sabbatical from church, but it was going to be like, I thought it was going to be like four, maybe six weeks. And on the way to driving to it, God told me, call Jordan and tell him it's three months. And I was like, oof, that's a long sabbatical, but okay. So I did that. And then once I got there, he started telling me how we were going to homeschool our kids. And I was like, whoa. This is, uh, that's quite a retreat day. Um, take three months off of, take three months off your church and, and by the way, start homeschooling your kids while you run your business from home. Man, that was a big one. But it's been awesome, actually. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some days it's really hard. But I feel like that it's been a thing that we're walking through with God and that it's been God-directed growth. And I feel like that God changed me and shaped me and taught me a lot during my three-month sabbatical and that I wouldn't be near as healthy standing here right now if I hadn't done it. So we had God-directed pruning and we had God-directed growth. And if you will set aside time to be quiet and to listen, to ask God questions, God will both cut things out of your life and he will tell you where to go. He will not be silent. I promise you that. If you do this enough, God will not be silent. You will experience both God-directed pruning and God-directed growth, just like I have. Hebrews 4.12 says this, 
For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is a pretty famous passage. You likely, maybe you've all heard it before. But I feel like what people don't actually know of this a lot of times is the context. The context of the scripture is interesting. This section of the letter to the Hebrew church is encouraging people to enter the rest of God. This is the context for God's word dividing us and piercing us. It is encouraging them to enter the rest of God and to stop working for long enough to let the word of God accurately judge and divide them. See, what it's talking about is that the people of Israel didn't enter the promised land and find rest because they had hard hearts. See, God's trying to soften hearts today. That's what he's doing here in worship. That's what he's doing with this message. He's trying to peel back the layers of places where you've let your heart become hard and you're not being able to listen to him and you're not being able to feel the slight guidances and the slight little like, oh, you should go this way, not that way. Oh, this thing's hurting you. Get it out of your life real quick. But when your heart's hard, you don't feel all those little adjustments. So then God has to really jab at you to get your attention. The Israelites had hard hearts and they were unable to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. So they wandered aimlessly for 40 years. And some of you feel like you're wandering aimlessly right now. Entering into rest actually allows God to clear the unbelief. He cuts it right out. And he also allows you to see him at work in that process, which builds faith in you to walk forward trusting him. Because you just watched him do in you what you couldn't do in yourself. You watch him take aimlessness and turn it into direction. And each time you witness him at work, it builds more faith in your heart. So you don't have to walk in any anxiety of what tomorrow will bring if you trust him. You don't even have to worry about the possibility that you are going to make the wrong decision and screw everything up if you're always in him. Because he is trustworthy. He's a trustworthy guide who will not let you stumble, even when you run. Proverbs 28 says it like this. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. This is kind of a one-point sermon, so hopefully you're getting it by now. You should love correction. We should all love correction. Love it. And that brings me to kids. This is point number two, although we're not that far from the end. Kids, here you go. Pursue correction from other people. And everyone shivers. I said it, uh-huh. Pursue correction from other people. Proverbs 27, six, 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If you thought that God's wounds hurt, just give this one a try. I'm not telling you it's not going to hurt. I'm telling you it is. It is going to hurt. There is humility required to let God point out your flaws. Yes. But when you open your life up to counsel from your friends, it feels a little or a lot more humbling. I'm telling you because I've tried. Friends are not perfect. And they will hurt you more than God will. Some won't tell you what you need to hear directly enough. And some of your friends will tell it to you too straight for your comfort. And to many of you, I'm sorry. Because that's the mistake I tend to make. But once again, it is worth it. The Bible calls them wounds because they hurt, right? It's telling you it's better to have wounds from a friend. It's not denying that they hurt. The call to follow Jesus, it hurts sometimes. It's sacrificial. We're called to pick up our cross. That's not just what I like to do on Thursday afternoons for a nice nice evening jaunt about. Let me just pick a cross up and carry it around. No, this is not a pleasant call, but it's an important call, and it's one that eventually does lead you into joy. Your friends will hurt you, but they will also save you from much bigger and deeper injuries. The wounds of a friend are healthy because they keep you from having much bigger and deeper injuries that you would have sustained on your own. I'm giving you guys a lot of Proverbs today. I hope you all like Proverbs because that's my dad. I know my dad's favorite book is Proverbs. Side note, I was, I was laughing. I sent him a text, I think it was earlier this week, or maybe it was last week. Let me see if I can find this real quick. My dad is like the most consistent person in so many ways. And I was cracking up because I've been trying to learn Spanish. Let me see if I can find this. Oh, I, I don't know, I'll just ask him. How many consecutive days do you have on, on learning Spanish on your program? <laughs> yeah, I was like looking at my streak and it was like, you made it to 17 days. And then I like clicked on my dad's profile. It was like streak 1374. <laughs> I was like, mm. All right. sometimes the apple doesn't fall so close to the tree. <laughs> Yeah, I'm right on your tail. All right, so <laughs> Proverbs 12, 15 says, the, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I'll tell you guys a story from when I was, I don't know, 12, 13. I was in youth group. And, um, well, Amber and Chris likely were there. Um, we went on a camping trip and we were camping right on the Rio Grande and um, there were some guys at the campsite next to us. I don't know how old they were at this point because I was, you know, I'm younger. I don't know if I had a good context. I'm going to guess they were in college or young 20s. And uh, these guys were, how do you say it, with children. 
imbibing libations liberally. <laughs> and I kid you not, they were shooting a cannon in the middle of the night. Like, this is not, a, you can't make this up. In the middle of the night, we'd be sleeping, and all of a sudden, like, these guys would start getting rowdy, and all of a sudden, there's just cannon shots. Just boom! And, like, you look over there, and I don't know if they brought it or if they found it, but there is a cannon. An actual, like, an actual cannon. Am I making this up? There was a cannon. And, and I don't, like... I mean, that means they had to have, like, the gunpowder or whatever, too, that's needed to actually, like, fire the thing and make an explosion. I don't think there were any cannonballs, so I don't think any, any deer were injured in the making of this trip. But, or fish, yes. But I'm telling you, this was a, a rowdy group of guys. And one night, they get this, there's all, there's all these wooden picnic tables around, and they get one of the wooden picnic tables, and there's a huge... A staircase that leads into the river and they decide they're going to surf on these pic wooden picnic tables into the river so um, I'm sure we're awake because there have been cannons firing and it's not really easy to sleep through that and so we see these guys start surfing wooden picnic tables and this one guy in particular does it barefoot and the wooden picnic table like slices his foot way over and um, and so, due to the current state of their mental capacities, um, their solution to this is like, well, you know, we need to clean it with alcohol, right? So they're pouring bottles of beer into this man's foot that's like cut wide open. And the moral of this story is that sometimes you need a friend, which in this case, we were the friends. Sometimes you need a friend to tell you hey man, there's a way that seems right to a man, but that is the wrong kind of alcohol. See, Proverbs 15 says, without cancel, without cancel, without count, counsel, gosh, society's done a number on me, cancel culture. Without counsel, Plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And this brings up a really important point, okay? I told you to listen to others, but this is, this is really important. Don't miss this part. Your plans will succeed with wise advisors, but they will fail with worldly advisors. Can you put that back What do you need back on the screen? The scripture? Sure, let's put the scripture back on the screen. No, you don't have to write it. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. If you listen to people who won't call you out when you have a bad attitude, you will fail. If you listen to people who have mixed motives and might want to manipulate you, you will fail. If you listen to people who only want to argue and be right, you will fail. If you listen to people who always agree with you, you will fail. This is why the Bible says in Hebrews 13, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, 
for that would be of no benefit to you. See, what you want are wise advisors. Hopefully, you can see the fruit of their wisdom displayed by the decisions and the fruit in their own life. And you want those people who have your best interest at heart, not only because they love you, but also the bonus they're accountable to God for how they advise you. That is a lot of more pressure than, I'm sorry ladies, I'm going to do this. It's a lot more pressure than your girlfriend has on her shoulders when she says, you know what, you're right, your husband is the worst. I wouldn't forgive him either if I were you. Let's go get drinks and talk about him. Hey, some of you, maybe no one in this room, of course, you're all wonderful. Some of you listening to this podcast, you listen to friends like this sometimes because they make you feel better. Because they tell you, hey, whatever just happened, you were in the right and they were in the wrong. It's not the advisors you want. Some of you have listened to horrible advisors. But there are people sitting around you now who are mature and who are accountable to God to give you wise counsel, and you should lean on them. And then you should do the wise advice that you receive so that they will enjoy being a part of your life and actually want to continue doing so. Have you ever had someone come to you and they're like, hey, I need help with this? And you like know that you have good counsel for them and then you watch them do the opposite and then you just watch them spiral and everything goes badly. That, is, that does not bring joy to your life. It's really frustrating and what it doesn't make you want to do is continue to help them in every way you can. This is really practical advice. It says, hey, find wise people who you should take counsel from and then be a joy to them. So for all of you who text Jordan at 1 a.m. once a week, listen, be a joy to him. Jordan gives great advice. Jordan's one of my friends that I most commonly go to if I need to talk through something. He's very wise. He helps me see different, different perspectives of things. He's not locked into one place. But you know what? He hasn't said anything about this to me. He doesn't do this. But I'm going to guess that some of you are not a joy to him in the way that you bring him your problems. So be a joy. I'm saying it for Jordan. I know he would never say that. All right, so when Levi was about one, I don't know if he was almost one or just maybe a little older than one, he had trouble sleeping a lot. And I mean, Levi, you still have some trouble sleeping yeah. sometimes, right? Yeah. It's just not really the way his brain's wired to want to go to sleep every night at sleep time. And so when he was about one, it would usually take a couple hours every night of really like trying hard to get him to fall asleep. And you know, that gets old. After a while, I mean, we did eventually develop some different strategies, especially once Luke was, Luke was born. Y'all remember Pokemon Go coming out? Yeah. Listen, we played a lot of Pokemon Go, and I'm kind of a nerd, and I did like Pokemon, but I'm not that much of a nerd. It's just that we needed an excuse to put both the kids in the car at night and drive until they fell asleep. <laughs> and so just like driving to a new spot where there might be Pokemon to catch on our phone, <laughs> it kind of worked for a minute, and you would like pull up. I remember pulling up in downtown Rowlett, because downtown Rowlett has all these historic locations, and they decided that meant 
that there should be lots of Pokemon to catch there. So I remember pulling up in our car, and we have the kids, and they're like, you know, getting near asleep in the back seat. We pull up, and we like look over, and there's probably, there are probably 75 people. This is probably 9 p.m., and there are probably 75 people between 20 and 30 walking around this little historic district on their phones catching Pokemon. I mean, it was ridiculous. And we would pull up, and you would look next to you into the car, and like you would lock eyes with the person, and you would both just start laughing because you both realize like we're 30 and we're here at 9 p.m. catching Pokemon. That's hilarious. That has nothing to do with this story. It just reminded me of it. So when Levi was about one, he had a lot of trouble going to sleep. And one night, I had him up, and I was putting him in his crib, and I had been battling him for, I don't know, an hour and a half, who knows. And he would not go to sleep. And finally, I got mad enough at him that, like, I mean, I didn't, like, waylay him, but I, I, I reached down, and I spanked his bottom, and I said, you go to sleep. And that was not effective. It didn't help at all. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> But the next day, the next day, I had, a, I had an older friend who I would consider very wise, and, and we were having a conversation, and I had not told him about this. We were having a conversation, nothing to do with this. And he said, Zane, let me tell you a story. I said, okay. And he said, um, when my daughter was young, she had a lot of trouble sleeping. And one night, I went to put her in her crib, and I was really, really frustrated that she wouldn't go to sleep. And I lifted my hand because I was going to spank her. And I tried to spank her. And I might slightly mess up a story here, but it went something like this. As my hand went down toward her bottom, it felt like I felt something redirect my hand. And I hit my arm on the side of the crib. And God immediately told me, that's not how you want me to parent you. So don't parent her that way. And I said, wow, that's an interesting story. I have no idea why you're telling it to me. <laughs> but thank you for sharing. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> but what ended up happening is that I, I took that advice because it was a person who I had given this person permission to speak in my life. You know, I had given them permission to give me wisdom and correction. And so I took that advice and I started rocking Levi to sleep every night. And I just decided this was going to become my personal task. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be patient. I'm going to rock him to sleep. I'm not going to get mad no matter how long it takes. And it would still normally take probably an hour every night. And I would go up to his room and I would sit in the rocking chair and I would rock him and I would sing Jesus songs over him and I would talk to him. And it became my favorite hour of every day. I looked forward to this hour so much because I had this connection with my son and I had this connection as a son. And like just the flow of the Holy Spirit in that room every night was incredible. But the point is, if I hadn't listened to wise counsel and if I hadn't had wise counsel in my life, then I still might have been standing there trying to spank my one-year-old instead of rocking him to sleep and experiencing the presence of God. So it's really important that we intentionally pursue correction. 
We should even cherish the correction. We should love the correction from both God and from people who we found to be trustworthy. And so I'm going to close this idea with one last thought. Kids, here you go. This is point number three. Point number three. This is the last one you have to get. Don't trust yourself unless you are dead. <laughs> yep, you can write it down. Don't trust yourself unless you are dead. Oh, listen. Don't trust yourself unless you are dead. That is the call of the gospel. Listen to me, kids, because you can think it's funny, but if you don't learn it, it's not going to help you at all. This is, the, this is the call of the gospel. It's to come and die. It's to come and die to yourself. It's to die to lay down all of our selfish desires and all of our self-centered ways of thinking where our thoughts and our ways of living are all about me. And it's to be submitted to God and to be submitted to each other. I want you all to realize this. I'm not the king of me. I'm submitted to God. When he speaks, I'm, I'm submitted. I have decided that I'm going to try and my, do my best to listen when he talks and to do what he says. And not only that, but there are probably, I don't even know, there are probably 15 people in my life or more that I've decided when this person speaks in my life, I'm going to listen. And I'm not only, but I'm not going to stop there because one person's not perfect, but I'm going to take their advice and I'm going to weigh it against what I feel from the Lord and against what all those other 15 people told me. Because if I live for me, as long as my selfish person is alive, I'm going to fail. As long as the ego-driven mind, ego, kids, ego means it's prideful, it's, it's self-centered. It means you think everything is about you and you're the thing that you think about the most. As long as your ego-driven mind is still alive and kicking, you better be careful not to listen because that thing needs to die and it will fool you. This is both the beauty and the pain of the cross. You are invited into a resurrected way of thinking and living, but it won't happen until you voluntarily kill the old one and it hurts. And the best test that I know of to find out if you can trust yourself is to keep pursuing correction. Because you can compare what comes out of your own heart and mind to what comes out of a, a, a more trustworthy heart and mind. I know that this can sound like a, in a way, a scary message. But I want to tell you that you actually don't have a choice you will get wounded by this life one way or another. It's happening. No matter if you like it or not, you will be wounded by this life. Pursue the wanted wounds. That's good. That's good. If you don't pursue the wanted wounds, you're going to get whichever ones come to you. That's good. Jesus chose to be wounded. He chose to be wounded. 
And now he's offering us the chance to make the same choice. So my final encouragement to you, just to sum it up a little bit, bring your thoughts and your desires before God and let him prune you and change you and shape you and speak to you. Find the wisest, most godly people you know and ask their advice. And in this way, you will see the gaps between your immature thinking and true godly thinking, and it will refine you. It will refine the thoughts that come to your mind. It will refine the way that your heart feels. And it will be painful in moments, but it will breed a life of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand if you're going to go pursue some correction this week. Yeah, it's good. I have a quick, I have a quick, uh, I have a quick wisdom for you about correction that's connected to what Zane says. I really felt the Lord told me this years ago uh, because I do believe that basically the theme, if you were to look at the entire theme of Proverbs, it is those who will seek wisdom and correction, you cannot, you cannot lose, and those who will, you can't, you can't help but win. Um, but here's what the Lord spoke to me. Very, very easy litmus test to see if you want correction. Do you get correction? If you do not get correction, it is very likely that you do not want it. It's true. People do not come out. How many of you love like sharing thoughts with somebody who like throws up every warning flag? Don't tell me something. Raise your hand. Tell me you love talking to those people. If you do not get it, it's because you do not want it. And you tell it with your being. I'm telling you, this This is something I have experienced with as a pastor. Like, I can talk to a lot of people, and I call it, this is, sounds super mystical, but I, I, I call it the window of people's soul. Um, I don't, I don't, I, this probably should be a door, but this is just the way I think of it. People's window is either open or it's not. And I don't break through windows to get into the house. And if you don't get it, you probably don't want it. I'm just telling you. And so go looking for it. Go asking for it. And it is the, it is the, <laughs> it's the secret of the kingdom that will unlock incredible accelerated growth in God is to go look for, go look for correction. Yep. And sometimes correction is not like you're, a terrible person, you have this major flaw. It's like just sharpening and sharpening and sharpening. But if but if it if it is if it takes a Herculean effort for somebody to come and talk to you because you're a terrifying person to talk to about things, people are not gonna come talk to you. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So anyway. That's the litmus test. If you don't get it, you probably don't want it, and everybody else is terrified to talk to you. And, and so, Lord, um, I do pray that you would help us to see that sharpening from others is a gift. It is not a burden. It is a gift. It's something you give to sons and daughters. Um, and I just pray that you would open our hearts and minds 
um, to receive what you have. And we bless you, Lord. We bless you. And we thank you for, for the cross, for the death, and for your resurrection. And, and we glorify you this morning in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. amen. Levi, you're going to come lead us. Let's pray with him. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me show love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is given that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at ClearPathDallas. Thanks for listening.